In this episode of The Full Nerd, GDC and the PC, Gordon Moore's contributions and your questions answered. Welcome to episode 250 of The Full Nerd. I'm your host, Gordon Bong, with Elena Yee. Not going to say anything, Elena? So. I'm muted? No, I, 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 we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't hear you. I just saw you wait. We didn't hear you. <laughs> I was like, hi, Elena. Hi. <laughs> Mark Hockman. Hi, everyone. And Adam Patrick Murray, controlling the vertical and horizontal from home. It's it's true. We're, we're all from home. We're all uh, trying to stay out of the rain and mm-hmm. the... Uh, and the wind and the earthquakes, uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been crazy weather the past couple of weeks. Uh, last last week after the full nerd, Gordon Willis and I got stuck in San Francisco for like we we were gonna leave at the end of the day, and then all of a sudden a big rig overturned on the Bay Bridge, and we got stuck in the city for like four or five hours, something like that. It was uh that was a day. <laughs> but that yeah. wasn't related to weather though, right? That was just the oh, it was no, it, it was, was the it? wind, yeah. The, oh, that's right. Because we, we got so used to our crazy winds now. Yeah, we we got a uh, we went and picked up our GDC badges at uh, on Tuesday. Just picked it up early, and then yeah, on the way back it was just like so crazy windy. Oh yeah. Anyway, speaking of GDC, Gordon, uh, me and you went. Well, Willis went as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we we were there to 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 you put on your your investigation hat you tried to find a pc at gdc and it was there <laughs> there were many pcs at gdc of course because and for people who don't know uh, gdc is uh, the game developer conference it's a long time game developer conference held in san francisco um it's really cool because it's all the, the game nerds people who make games uh there are definitely not everybody is in the industry but most of the people are in the industry that are there a lot of game developers and um you know, it's a it's a different it's a different crowd than what you might get from CES or uh, E3. E3 is more uh, consumer focused, but uh, game developers look exactly like kind of what you expect. So that's that's actually really cool about it. And these are people who love games. Uh, our choice in going there, of course, is looking for PC news, and there was a lot of PC information. I wouldn't say it was necessarily newsworthy, as in like, hey we're announcing something this is not a show where people make big announcements because it is mostly a chance for hardware vendors of course and developers as well or you know also software vendors but for hardware vendors they get to talk to the people making games you know evangelize stuff give them techniques they have a lot of classes and techniques where they tell people about stuff and uh it's not really a, a big news but we did see some cool stuff on the floor i think the the Acer laptop, I actually, um, which we saw at CES, I, I didn't really get to dive into it at, at CES, but I thought that was definitely something that was worth calling out. We actually did a video on it because um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty um, pragmatic way to try to get 3D glasses 3D onto the PC. And uh, I think actually I at CES, because I didn't really know what their plans were, I was more dismissive of it myself. Because I saw the Asus one, which I thought was incredible because it was aimed at professional developers. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, 3D, 3D on PC has been done before. It's, it's always been a failure, frankly. Uh, Glasses 3D has always been pretty, pretty crude. And I just always thought that trying to get 
games to support. If you're trying to make a game push, you have to get game developers. And without, you know, we know that how that works. Trying to get a game developer who's just trying to like, you know, get money back in, into their accounts making a game is really tough. So Acer's approach is pretty clever because they are, they are themselves doing the conversion of the games. Uh, and it's fairly easy. They, they basically, you know, remember all, all games are, well, most games are made for 3D space. You might get like 2D, you know, scrollers that really aren't made for 3D space, so you don't really worry about 3D. But it's a game that's, that's basically, that creates a 3D world, but it's spit out on a flat screen that's in 2D. So they basically take the game and they, they insert uh, two camera layers. So there's, there's two cameras that they insert into the game, and then they, they use that to, to hook into their 3D uh, panel and then that basically they, it looks at what it tracks your eyes, um, and then it creates a 3D space that looks pretty much like like a letterbox that can give you maybe six to eight inches of depth in the screen. It's really just really beautiful, and then also it's it's fairly high resolution because it's 4K resolution. A lot of the you know 3D's been very low res because you have to split the res between your eyes because you're going alternate. It's it's you're getting alternate right. So by using a 4K panel. They basically give you, I think they're saying what two K, two K, two K per per eye. So um, it it looks really sharp. It looks much sharper than um, very expensive glasses three D technology that I've seen. We saw one at um, a competing trade show at CES. Adam and I were there uh, on the floor. Uh, we were chasing down a news lead, believe it or not, or tech, technical lead with Charlie from Semi Accurate, but. We looked at this. There's this one vendor that had a 3D screen. They're like, and it's like, oh, this looks like trash. <laughs> I had to tell them this looks like trash because I'd seen the Asus one. The Asus Did one was like, wording? yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> oh, this is terrible. Because I said, like, you need to go <laughs> over to CES, go to the Asus booth and look at the Asus one because it's like, ouch, well, Gordon. Well, this is because, well, this again, this was a so this was a software vendor because you know, um, they they just basically a software solution yes software solution they basically bought one of those 3d glassless panels and they had it set up with a, a desktop system and then they had the panel there and it looked like it was very very low res because it was low res compared to the asus one you know later on i saw the asus one or the acer one on the floor of ces it's like oh this is really cool but it wasn't until i got to gdc that i understood like oh the fact that they are themselves doing this um by by converting the games, they have about fifty or sixty games on there. So I I think it's actually got so a really good ch chance. And they actually have a standalone panel, but you know the, I think the big barrier is cost because it, it adds a huge cost barrier to it. The standalone panel is like eleven hundred dollars, but it really is like oh, you could see this getting to like thirty inches, thirty inch three D panel if the cost comes down. Like it's just like it's is really nice. So and, refresh memory. How does this work again? So basically, they have multiple layers. They have eye tracking software, uh, you know, built into the panel. They have eye tracking hardware, and they can follow your gaze. So you step in front of the laptop, you you get it finds your eyes, and then suddenly things snap into place. So now so you it's see, showing one image for your left eye and one image for your right eye. Yeah, but yeah. without glasses. So you know, traditionally you would have three D where you have polarized lenses, or you have the old red blue, and then with the people who remember Nvidia's GeForce Vision. It actually had active polarizers, so they were powered glasses. You would charge them up, and it would it would polarize the lenses and hide each frame from you. So this is doing this 
without any glasses, and it's very impressive. Is it going to go anywhere? I don't know, but I thought it was pretty cool. But that was cool, Acer. Um, and, of course, uh, for this, also laptops. People want to talk about the hardware. We're going to talk about the software stuff in a bit. Um, uh, framework was there. Do you want to talk about it? We'll talk about it at the end, or should we talk about it now, Adam? Let's talk about it. Technically, it was part of GDC. but Yeah, you know, technically, whatever. it was part of GDC. It was about a block and a half away. They, Can I ask a quick question on the 3D? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, two questions. Uh, how fast is what's the frame rate? And second, if you did you feel any sort of fatigue in using it over a long period of time? Because that's the thing that's bothered me uh, in past. Uh, I think it was sixty hertz. It was sixty. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was sixty hertz because there, you know, it's probably one hundred twenty hertz if you were in two D mode. But it right. was sixty hertz. It didn't bother me. I didn't use it extensively, but I have. I will tell you, I have really good sea legs, and I don't know. Although I don't think my theory holds up, I used to think if you have really, if you have really good vision, it it's harder. That was my theory. But Elena has terrible vision because she's what? got glasses. Dang, no, just, she's got glasses. Calling her out. What do no. you? Geez. No, because Elena, Dang. Elena cannot do um, VR. No, that has nothing to do with my glasses, though. Yeah, or, yeah, like, or vision. I, it has nothing to do with my vision. It has to do with the fact that. So according to the Oculus co-founders, when I talked to them way back in 2014. Uh, they, I, I did a demo, I think it was E3 2015 and, uh, I did demo. They were like, they see me come out of the demo and they asked me like, Hey, how did you find it? And I said, you know what? I think it's interesting technology, but I am so nauseated right now that it's not really feasible for me. And they said to me, and this is not me making it up. They said to me, they got, they said immediately, they're like, Oh, are you like a dancer or an athlete? And I was like, yeah, actually I, I do both. And they said, Oh Yeah. We found that with uh, people who are very like spatially aware, this kind of throws them off and it can cause nausea. And I was like, it's not me. Interesting. I don't know if I buy into it, but okay. So you No, it makes one. sense. It, it makes sense because what happened was I was uh, one of the demos I took was I was it was like you're standing on the ledge of like a eighty story building, supposedly, in this VR scenario, right? So I'm like looking around and I look down. And my stomach just goes, because I think what happened was that my brain said, okay, I've got two very conflicting signals coming through here, which is your spatial awareness says that you are standing on solid ground, but your eyes are telling me that if you take one step forward, you're going to fall to your death. And my brain's just like, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just going to make you sick and back off of it. Well, have you ever... Isn't that just mean if you stood over an 80-story building, you might fall to your death that maybe your body's telling you? I mean, No, oh. no, because it was very distinctly like I, I could feel it. I was like, this is weird because I can feel spatially that I am not anywhere in the scenario. Like when you're at that, when you're at that height, like you will have a sense of like openness around you. And like that wasn't the case at all. I was in an, a very decently enclosed uh, demo room. Like there should be wind going. There was not wind going. There should be a certain like uh pressure temperatures like uh on my skin like there was all these elements that weren't adding up for me so it was just like not having it and i'm not the only person who's experienced this gordon so i just gonna have to accept that other people have different bodies than you no i'm just wondering because i'm i'm thinking of the people i okay okay well well i mean it'll take more exploration if vr ever <laughs> gets out of the rut it's in right now but um I don't get sick basically from VR. I've tried really hard. Yeah, I can get a little like you little feel a little queasy, but 
I have really good sea legs is what I would describe it as. It's well, not the sea legs. It has to do specifically with like the fact that I, I can like spin off axis and like I know where I am in space in order to do things like that. That's well, interesting. I, when I did a 3D Minecraft demo with Oculus, I don't know, five years back or something of that sort, I had that same effect and I have no idea why, but it was like, oh God, I can't even do this for more than five minutes at a time. It mm-hmm. might be because you're, um, you have really good awareness, Mark. <laughs> He was, a, he was a sports <laughs> athlete. Yeah. yeah well, athlete. Oh, no, no. Mark, you, athlete, you're baseball. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh, I was a... <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Brutal. Hey, I'm out here in right field because someone hit a damn ball out here. I've been standing here I for 10 minutes. I was a pitcher. Come on now. I'm just wow. saying. That's tough. Oh. I mean, I guess so baseball smack is talk sport. coming from someone who tough. obviously is not doing sports, apparently. <laughs> look, I'll, look. If, yeah, I could stand out there for 10 minutes, too. Like, oh, this is so damn boring. Could is you, a ball ever going to come out here? Could you go from zero to 60? Gordon, could you? Yeah, sure. Every 20 minutes because you're like, otherwise you're like looking at your phone. I got this new invention. It's a glove mitt that you actually can put your phone so that you're basically out and playing, playing games. You know what? I don't even like baseball. Like, I'm sorry, Mark. I just, I, I do find it slow moving really for bye. myself, but even I still respect athleticism. <laughs> well, you know, well, what's, you know, what's oh. better than baseball a framework <laughs> laptop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so right framework laptop. Yeah, so well, we, we, okay, we yeah. got two framework laptops. I've now. insulted all sports already. So <laughs> soccer, baseball now, the Liberty Bell. I don't think oh. you've gotten to hockey yet. Oh no, he's he's probably I've made, talked about made fun of too, He doesn't like poutine. He doesn't like poutine. So no, I my problem. Look, I mean, just, one second. One, yeah. My problem with hockey is like, <laughs> in what sport can oh, you just start punching each other? And not be thrown off for three games. I love hockey. Like if you were like, oh, there's a you know, Palace and the Ma- they're like Palace and the Malice, this famous NBA fight, like or it was like people still talk about that twenty years later. Like every time there's a hockey match, you can just start punching each other. Like oh, well, like ejected, right? Five game, like penalty. Nope, they got to sit in this box for five. Give me a break. Sorry, that's my problem with hockey. Framework uh, laptop hockey, though. though. What? What? Just go for it. Go for it. Go for framework. We're here to talk about technology, not about people beating each other. I just don't understand how that's part of a sport and not actually like an ejection and basically, a you know, you're, a, you know, you're, you have to set out for the next few games. It's nuts because even in football, you get in a fight. Oh, boy, you're, there's some trouble. Right? I, I, I think the difference is uh, those hockey Hockey players are so padded up yes. that no matter what you do, you're not going to get hurt anyway. So oh, you, can, oh, you can start oh, wailing on somebody and like it well, does nothing. So in, it, in NFL, in baseball, you're basically yeah. wearing pads and a helmet and everything. So oh, the, why those are actually pretty start? thin. I mean, you, you got just, plenty of your body still exposed compared. To I'm sorry. Hockey. It's not it's just not, you know, you start fighting like that's just I don't understand that. And like, but the thing is, the people who go to watch hockey, that's like part of the game to me. It's like, OK, I just don't get True. it. I'm just that's my criticism. That's it's like my criticism of baseball and standing around for like, man, I wish something would happen because I don't want to buy another twelve dollar beer now. Can something just happen? So that's all right. All right. Wait, wait, wait. So in baseball, it, you're you're bored because there's no fighting in hockey. You're bored because there's too much fighting. <laughs> too much fighting. No, I'm not yeah. fighting. There's yeah, just you, like you, you need to get very little somewhere. The in... There's just a little bit. Yeah. Of there's like, just not uh... a lot of action in baseball. We can we can all admit that. Well, everyone goes to see a car race because they want to see the crash. So same Ooh. thing. Well, that's dark. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's some people definitely want to see car crashes in motorsports. I am there for the racing, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot more going underneath, but 
Yes. Well, you know uh, what's underneath the framework laptop now, or I guess yeah, inside. Yeah. Up- upgradable graphics, right? That was the, <laughs> well, so that was a big thing. In right? one of the so models. <laughs> one of the models. So the two framework laptops. One, of course, is uh, the framework 13, which you could do an AMD option now, which is a big thing. Uh, AMD 7000 series. Well, you could seventy forty series is what they said. Seventy forty. I don't have I don't I don't have the decoder ring. Well, no, because Gordon, remember, seven thousand series can mean a lot of things. Yeah, but seven. So, what can, I do can, know is it could mean seven, Zen two cores in there. You don't know yet. Well, the seven forty tells me forty means the generation. See, I remember that. No, so that was forty. The, the third means, number is the generation, isn't it? Yeah, so that tells you the generation of the core. So it's Zen four based. No, 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 no not the second number. Yeah, seven zero four zero. No, I thought if it's seven seven four zero, then it's seventh gen. Or uh, I need to grab the decoder. Yeah, no, we should I'm, look at the decoder. That's why I'm like, don't I? I don't know if this is the newest cores in there. I, I, let's not count on that yet. Um, I expect it to be. I don't. I really need to decode it, but I'm I'm almost certain it's a the four indicates it's a fourth gen, you know, Zen four. So I think it's the the four is in the wrong place. <laughs> no, I think that's the correct one. Anyway, it's the, uh, it's. It's not the, yeah, because it's like, uh, isn't there a seventy-seven? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the hell yeah, it is? We, we should look, but yeah, I should say don't, don't, don't promise that it's the newest yet. Don't promise. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm almost certain it's going to be basically a AMD seven thousand series. It is a seven thousand series. Well, I, the 7, and I believe it will be Zen yeah. four. The main thing is you can go out and buy this AMD motherboard if you have an eleventh gen framework, or maybe you have a twelfth gen and you want to go AMD. You can swap the board out. What's even cooler is now they have a cooler master case enclosure. You can take your old motherboard. You can also sell it back to them if you want to, or you can take this $30 cooler master case. It's got a transparent lid. You drop the motherboard in there, and you basically have, and it's actually, it's got VESA mounts on the back, so you can actually hook it on the back of a monitor and, and turn a, a monitor into uh, all-in-one using the old uh, framework motherboard. It's It's really slick. And you can even do things like take the, uh, battery because they now have a 61 watt hour battery they have a 55 watt hour so like they shipped with the 55 watt hour battery they have a new battery same size but now it's 61 watt hours you can take your older one put it into a case and have uh, basically a portable usb c charger and uh, you can now get your 61 watt hour battery on your framework laptop and and feel okay that you're not just creating e-waste so. Uh, and they're also talking about enabling on their website a place where uh, you can sell it to other people. So it's like, oh, it's like an eBay. Like, oh, I have old framework parts. I can put it up on, on the website and, and sell it uh, to somebody. Yeah. And you know what I actually really appreciate about what they're doing here, which is an advantage over, you know, very big laptop companies. Typically, if you have an older laptop, the battery eventually goes flat, right? They, they wear out. They have a life cycle the older battery wears out and you're like, oh, let me just replace it. And yeah, good luck getting an HP, Dell, or Lenovo OEM battery. It is really, really hard. So then you're just sort of in this random eBay, Amazon marketplace of like, says it fits this laptop, should work. Who makes it? I don't know. Could be from the Gordon Ung company, right? <laughs> you know, like could be the lowest quality battery, but you want, OE- you want OEM quality battery because those are the best ones, OEM spec. <laughs> a lot of those name brand laptops they've moved on they don't they no longer sell the batteries for them it wasn't supposedly you know supposed to be replaced by you anyway so now you're left to low quality third party batteries you know possibly low power, po- low quality 
But if you have a framework laptop, what I really like is the fact that I'm guessing they're going to stick to the same battery design for a while. And the fact that they have that and across different motherboards means you can actually get an OEM uh, framework laptop five, six, seven years from now. We hope. We don't know, but I'm going to imagine that's sort of part of the, the company's uh, philosophy. So that is a much better situation than buying a Gordon Ung brand battery for your <laughs> laptop. Speaking of philosophy, uh, I mean, and we can get to the 16 in a second, like they were showing off, I mean, everything they were talking about was like, hey, here's how to reuse old parts. Here's how to sell uh, old parts. Here's how to upgrade to new parts. Uh, here, here are some projects that the DIYers are doing that are just like cool and, and different. Like it just felt it just felt special. It's hard. It's hard to describe, but it, it felt like they were like, hey, we're, we're all in on this and we're going to really enable it and keep going. So, have they disclosed how many sales they have at this point? No, no, they haven't. Um, which which makes you wonder. And I mean, that was always my reservation from the beginning because you know this felt like, oh, this is a great idea. Great ideas don't make for good business models. Mm-hmm. So, but the fact is, they've gone from eleventh to twelfth to thirteenth gen. Now they're going to do uh, an AMD version, and the fact that they're doing one more model means. The funding hasn't run out, so people are buying these. So hopefully that's what it means. We don't really know. Um, I've you know asked them many many times. Are you you know how is it how's the business model? But they have said like their their president CEO has said to me like you know he can't say how many they sold, but he said mm-hmm. you know they think they're probably one of the only laptop vendors that actually increased sales uh, last quarter because obviously last quarter all laptop sales fell off the edge of the earth because nobody needs laptops anymore, especially with the economy kind of going sour. But framework sales have been increasing. And of course, you know, for framework, uh, hey, we've got a massive, we're actually selling more laptops in the last quarter than Dell or HP or Lenovo or Apple. You know, as an increase, probably is pretty meaningless, but probably because one hour Apple or Dell probably sell more (laughs) laptops than frameworks does in a year. So, you know. I, I mean, think I always, I always saw them a little bit akin to, to Raspberry Pi. I mean, you know, because the Pi community, I mean, is, you know, it punches above its weight in terms of its influence. I mean, it has a very tightly integrated community. I mean, you don't really see people clustering on the Dell or HP, you know, <laughs> forums saying, hey, I love my Inspiron. You know, right. we should trade tips on how to customize it. Um, you know, with the, the framework folks, it seems like they're really trying to, uh, I don't know if, incentivize is the right term but really uh basically tell people hey once you've bought a framework you're kind of part of a family and that kind of the lifestyle uh, sort of approach really benefits people you know it, it, it basically just brings them into you know a community and a community will grow and expand and evangelize and i think that that's probably what they're trying to do and i think that's probably a smart solution it's just the question of like you know are we talking about a handful of people here or are we talking about something that could be meaningfully influence the rest of the industry because i think most people would prefer to have an upgradable rather than a sealed laptop and if that's the kind of things that's selling you know those are the kind of things that influence other oems to do the same so hopefully that's the kind of thing that takes off and you know and goes forward yeah what, what, what no the, i agree one of the things holding me back from getting a, a framework was hey it didn't have uh and a dedicated gpu option mm. but now they do gordon Tell us about the the framework sixteen. Yeah, framework sixteen. Um, surprise, we don't actually have any specs. We don't know if it's Nvidia or AMD or Intel. 
for graphics. We don't know if it's AMD or Intel for CPU. Um, but I would imagine, um, you know, it might be all three of those over its lifetime. It's basically a 16-inch, uh, you know, gaming laptop or basically more powerful laptop. We don't know. We don't know what class of CPU is in it exactly, but they have said it was. It's going to be a higher power, so that obviously means H could be HX. I, we don't know. Could be H. Could be HX. So either one of those from AMD or Intel. And for graphics. Um, what, you know, the selling point, well, obviously it's also very upgradable. There's a few cool features. You get actually more of the, you know, USB-C docking ports. Now the original 13 has four, this one has six. Um, it also has a keyboard that is designed to be modular. So you can actually have the keyboard with the numpad without numpad. You can actually slide the whole thing over to the left. You can actually have a design of this. If you think of the entire top. Uh, the keyboard deck, the I think it's uh, the C deck is what most of the vendors will call it. That entire deck is basically replaceable in a tile-based system that is held down by magnets. So you can actually have uh, the keyboard in on one. You can shift the keyboard to the left onto the right of it. You could potentially have like a uh, an LCD screen, like a you know a black and white LCD, right, or an e-ink, or just it's made to be upgradable. You could even say like one concept would be you replace that. C deck with like a, a DJ trackpad, right? You know what the little things that the DJs use. So it's going to be open to the community. Um, you know, Frameworks actually has been really good about this, opening up the pinouts for all of their boards so that you can actually design things around it. That's what Adam was talking about earlier. They Since they opened up the pinouts, people have been able to build projects around the framework motherboards because they know where the pins go. They know where everything goes so they can they can actually design around it. Um, so I think they'd expect that these modules on the top deck, the entire C deck can be reconfigured at will, it looks like. So hopefully somebody, you know, they can design their own um, whatever they think should go on a keyboard. So it'll open up the the keyboard deck of a laptop to the imagination of its community. But, you know, for me as a hardware person, I, I'm more excited about the upgradable graphics because... You're basically going to have a layer that's going to have your main board with RAM, storage, and everything, CPU. And then underneath that, there's actually a GPU that slides into place. And the, the concept is we really don't know whether you slide it in and then it connects into a slot um, or whether it'll be a ribbon cable you connect to it. But the main thing is you slide this module in, the the GPU will have the cooling, looks like it'll have the cooling It'll, you know, have a traditional GPU memory, everything, and the, probably the VRMs on there as well. It will connect to the CPU by uh, eight lanes of Gen 4. And what's a little different about this one so than the other approaches I've seen is it looks like it's most of the bottom of the back of the laptop. So you can actually see in some of the video that there's about a three-inch by eight inches. That's the vents, the bottom of the, that laptop. This hopefully will let them sort of, I sort of think like uh, let them sort of, you can put in any GPU obviously, but maybe if they needed more room for more cooling, they could basically build that thing out, right? So you, you, since you're slotting in the cooling with the GPU, you just make it a little thicker, you make the back end a little longer to add more cooling or maybe more power. So it, it, um, it might actually be the first upgradable graphics that survives more than one generation. 
Well, and they, they said that that plug in the back can facilitate other things, too. Uh, in right. in Linus's video, he, he listed off all the things that they were, you know, trying to to enable, you know, maybe more storage. I, I can't remember. Right. The, Dual the M.2s. List. Yeah. Capture cards. Because, so. you know, it basically it's like a it's like a it's a, I was saying I was joking with them. It was like it's the Thunderbirds, right? You can basically slot in anything into you know, 16 lanes of Gen 3, well, 8 lanes of Gen 4, whatever you want to call it, right? So anything that's going to use that PCIe, you can just... And, you know, again, it's basic PCIe, so somebody could build a module that adds anything that connects to that CPU by, you know, a tremendous amount of bandwidth. So pretty cool, but, um, yeah, it is... It's not a standard module, you know, because MXM is dead. There's really no standard laptop module, so it'll be somewhat proprietary because they're making themselves but it is open so basically you know if another somebody wanted to make a graphics expansion module for the framework laptop you could do that because it's just standard pcie um gen 4 so anybody could do it so it might actually make it which is very encouraging to me yeah i'll I'll say the thing that was least encouraging was that it was it was seemed very early they wouldn't let us touch it they they literally had a, a guy watching the table and being like, hey, don't even get near it. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, Linus they, got to touch it. You know? Linus got it. Well, I mean, he's an well, investor. Cost him a couple, he's a, he's an investor. Hundred thousand dollars. So. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that uh, that I felt a little bummed. I was just like, mm, this doesn't. Then they talked about a Q3 release. Like that did not feel like a Q3 release to me. But really, I no. I I mean, it really. I mean, if isn't they wouldn't difficult. even let us touch it, but they wouldn't even let us touch it. Yeah, I like we weren't even asking to take it apart or look inside or take anything out. <laughs> they just they wouldn't even let us hold it in our hand. So that that was a a little little what bummer. You, what do you I'm, guys get? A, do you guys? I'm sorry. Uh, do you guys? What's the sense on the thermals? Because I mean, that's one thing that obviously a, a tightly developed laptop does is it's got a nicely integrated thermal solution that you can cool everything with. But I would think with a, a portable, or sorry, a more modular form factor i don't know if you could get that so well i mean we've already seen you know 40 series right announced down as low as you know into a you know a, a, a rog g14 right so they get very small you, you this this size and form factor of a laptop it is as shown off will not com- certainly not compete with say a gt77 or one of the one of the you know big uh, asus laptops because it, or Alienware's because they're just, just physically bigger so um i i would expect lower tdps in this but i mean anybody shouldn't expect higher tdps in a 16 inch laptop anyway because it's not like it's yeah. <laughs> not like you're this is some giant eight pound monster laptop so i wouldn't expect that what I, I do think, and they've already done this on, so like with the AMD and with, you you buy the main board and it has the cooler integrated into it. Like actually the AMD cooler is different than the Intel cooler. But when you buy the motherboard, it comes with it integrated onto it. So my guess is they're going to do the same thing. So they're just going to go like, okay, this generation of GeForce graphics or this generation of Radeon graphics or Arc even, right? Uh needs this tdp cooler we're going to provide we're going to make sure it has that tdp cooler and then maybe the it's designed a little differently but it'll be a package that you slide into it um so it'll be fit it'll be designed for the actual uh, gpu um and i will say that and that's why it's promising because um 
you know, again, people have tried this. Many, many vendors have tried this in the past, and uh, it, it has all failed. Typically, it has failed in the past because they looked at um, they looked at the roadmap they got from the vendor. You know, remember, you, you're designing a laptop two years before you ever get there. They design this laptop, and they say, hey, you know what? We're going to make our laptop upgradable because we can see the roadmap. It's going to hit this. It's going to use this much power. It's going to put out this much heat. <laughs> well... You know, three years later, by the way, the roadmap has changed and we are going to need more power and more cooling. And then you're like, uh, we can't do anything because it takes a, a major re-engineering of, because you have the entire laptop that is designed to fit that cooling, right? They didn't like, they, they probably thought like, oh, we'll add this much headroom for the next generation of graphics for cooling and power. <laughs> it wasn't enough headroom. And that actually that has that has literally hit some of the vendors right in the face, and they couldn't they couldn't do the upgrade. So, Gordon, then, do you think that because this is more community driven and there's like a more passionate fan base around it, that we like even given those constraints, we would see people who would, uh, how shall we put this, make it work? Or do you no. think they're still going to be constrained by the same issue? Because like it's not like because when you discuss that, that's different than saying like oh you know. Um, corporate priorities have changed so that's why they had to take engineers off of that in addition to the problem right but i mean what you're describing sounds like an actual limitation like actual physical limitations in some ways well see the thing is with the previous designs and i I don't want to name them because it's it's very sore points for them because it literally ended them in court because somebody said i bought my laptop to upgrade i can't get my upgrade ring ring call a lawyer and lawsuit right that's they last two have ended that way so i i actually kind of thought after the last one ended that way too man listen they are never going to do this again because like nobody has made it successful the reason why again this sort of changes a little bit because the other designs were based on a laptop that was really beefy um and they had modules but it just i think it, it just the engineering resources would have taken to make it work would have been a problem because they the chassis was also probably a, a literal limitation and also power delivery. What I'm thinking they're doing is this entire module itself has the power delivery built into it. So, but again, so it's a pretty big board. It's like MXM modules and Dell's G. It's actually built apparently on the same. It uses the same connector. I was watching the Linus video. It actually uses the same connector that Dell's was it G GFF or whatever the hell they they actually have a a, a graphics uh, four factor connector it uses the same connector but the board is physically very big. So my thoughts is they said, I mean I don't know, but it looks to me like the the power and everything's self contained on this board. So, well, and and for better or worse, that means cooling too, because usually a lot of these laptops share cooling solutions between the CPU and the GPU. This has to have a cooling solution for CPU and a cooling solution for GPU, and they're probably not going to benefit from each other. Yeah, no, this, I mean, that's the thing is you, I'm guessing that means separate cooling. Dis, that's the interesting. So is there right. basically separate cooling? Well, has, I don't know. It has to be because if the detachable be, right? thing can go in the eGPU thing, well, maybe unless the guts of the eGPU thing that they showed right. off had some cooling in there too. I don't know. It, it just, if there was a lot of questions. Yeah, a lot of questions. And, you know, I can basically guess that, you know, it has two cooling solutions. So that's extra cost. That's more space. It's also, I mean, the main thing is you'll be able to upgrade it. 
So that is going to be hopefully a possibility. They could, again, they, I think they can grow the Z height on that module. They could make it longer. They can add VRMs. Um, they'll probably, of course, have to lower the TDP, TGP of the card. Uh, so I think that if the fact that they will be able to do it is going to be cool because you have never, we have never done this past one generation before, it feels like. But what I also think, I also think the warning, though, is uh, it's really cool you can upgrade it, but there's going to be a lot of limitations. Because if you have a purpose-built gaming laptop, it's probably going to outperform this. That's my guess. I think if you get a bigger laptop, it's purpose-built, it's going to outperform this. And there's probably just certain things you're not going to be able to do in this. There's just going to be, you know, there's always that trade-off, right? You you want the lifestyle of being able to upgrade. That means you're not going to get a 175-watt TGP part in there ever and... I mean, maybe somebody makes a, a two-inch thick one, but it, it just feels like that's probably something you wouldn't expect out of this. Yeah. Do you think they bit off more than they can chew? I mean, I, when I say that, I'm kind of implying that the enthusiast market in terms of PCs usually implies gaming, and gaming has carries with it the problems that you just pointed out in terms of competing with a, you know, an, a, a specifically purpose-built design laptop, but we don't see too many enthusiast communities orient around, say, a, 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 a productivity laptop where you can just buy a laptop, keep on upgrading it, you know, two or three or four generations, depending upon what the motherboard supports. I mean, that would seem to be the one of the aspects that they would do very well in. But again, you don't see too many consumers out there that we know of that are vocal clamoring for, hey, 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 I want a, a modular productivity laptop. Usually it's those consumers that say, well, yeah, I, I, I love technology. I love that laptop, but I wanted a game too. So I'm just kind of curious to see whether, you know, the two things, the two different forces kind of will pull them apart or if they can ride the both waves to, you know, future success. Uh, real quick, Mark, if, if I can just get a little more audio from you. Sorry, people yeah, are sure, you're, you're really quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that is a good point. And, and, Coming back to the fact that they wouldn't let us touch it, I mean, I feel like when we first saw the framework, it was they they got it in front of us, and it was like, oh hey, look, here here's the goal, upgradable. Here you go, go go have at it. And the fact that they weren't able to come here with the sixteen and be like, hey, here's our idea for the sixteen. Go ahead and have at it and have have some fun. It it, it yeah, it almost felt like oh crap, we need to hurry and r- announce something before maybe we're a little too ready. I, is, yeah. is what I, I mean, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I really love what they're doing, but it also felt like they weren't qu- quite ready. Well, GDC is pretty big, too, so it may have just been one of those things where they rushed because they specifically wanted to get in front of more eyeballs. Like I don't know why. Actually be there in person to there wasn't that many people on. there. Flo was there. She said hi. I'm just saying, like, you know, I mean, that can, and that can be a thing, too, where, I mean, even in our personal lives, we set markers for ourselves, right? So even if we don't necessarily make that marker, it forces us to still have something to work to concretely. Um, I, I personally would give people a pass just knowing on that front, just because I know how hard it is to get things ready for shows. Oh, it for sure. It's just... It's really rough, but I mean, I also don't think you're wrong to be concerned, especially given that they said that what Q3 that they want to launch Q3. Yeah. So uh, you would think that for something that's launching that has to go into production and to, in order to launch by Q3, that they would be in a more ready state if they're showing it now. 
Yeah. But we'll it, see. It, it was yeah, fun. I'm not so skeptical. I mean, I, th- I think seeing that they have survived this far and the actual, it looks like they've got real momentum behind, behind them. So I think it's, it's entirely possible. So, uh, I, I, you know, again, I, I think it's going to happen. I don't, I don't, I'm not skeptical all about it. Uh, the question is whether they can sell enough to make a real living at it. And that's, that's a challenge, right? And they're also, when you consider the engineering resources they're going to have versus, you know, an OEM, <laughs> it's, I'm, that's not too bad actually. So, uh, well, yeah, there was another, uh, I guess, little startup. I don't know if you may, maybe heard of it. Uh, NVIDIA and CD oh. Projekt Red, they they had a presentation at GDC. I, I don't think there's any, anything else hardware to talk about, right? No, I don't think so. I mean, there, were, there really wasn't, again, a lot of um, hardware news. Framework's probably the only one that was GDC adjacent. So, But there was a lot of uh, software software stuff i mean it's from the again from the hardware vendors you know evangelizing to the isvs independent software vendors is what they like to call themselves game developers and um the cool thing was uh we we went and saw this demo it was with a developer with the art director actually the global art director for cyberpunk 2077 um, that's cd project red yeah. cd project red and as, as well as with nvidia and they showed off uh, a version of Cyberpunk that will actually have imp- that will implement path tracing. <laughs> so they're going to implement path tracing in Cyberpunk, and you'll be able to download it for free and and give it a run. It's uh, later this year, right? Is it? I forget uh, when. The, yeah, there, there's a technical test, and it's uh, April twenty second. Yeah, when April. It, it, they they very much said, "Hey, listen, you're going to get this. Try it out." But also, this is not final. It's very buggy. It's probably going to take a lot of power to run. But they wouldn't right. give us specifics on that either. Uh, but I, I assume a fully path-traced game like that, which so far we've only seen like like lighter loads, like uh, like Quake RTX. Yeah, Quake Two RTX was the the first one we saw that was fully path-traced. Right, and that was twenty uh, twenty three year old game, right? So yeah, so this is like the full first AAA game to get like full path tracing it's it's going to be nuts it's going to be nuts <laughs> yeah and they're they basically were like you know what we're going to do this in again you know this is this game is is beautiful it's AAA, and the fact that they can't actually do path tracing uh will be impressive none of i don't think anybody there we couldn't get them to commit to what hardware you could run it on right like do you want 4090 to do this but it looks like they are targeting all cards eventually. So they they said they highly recommend a 40, 40, uh, 4,000 yeah. series card uh, and DLSS three frame generation. So if that yeah. if that tells you anything, uh, <laughs> yeah. that was cool. I, I think I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we have a video coming up with that eventually because um, uh, the, the global art director for you know uh, CD Projekt Red was like he was really high on it. He was like, yeah, you know. Um, this really, it, it's because he's basically saying the, the lighting model with the fully path trace uh, Cyberpunk is like, it's a, he, he said it multiple times, it's like Christmas for developers, so for the lighting. So it's, it's, it looked pretty, you know, we'll have to see when we get it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, because again, it's not, I think we got a, we got a fully path trace version of Portal recently, 
but it's something that's very modern and very heavy is has not been done yet so this is going to be a really cool tech demo when it comes out yeah it was a fun little presentation uh there's some other stuff too uh amd announced or they showed off more fsr3 stuff i mean barely they, they talked about it just a little bit at the end of a presentation uh yeah there's one slide i think didn't i oh i guess i didn't draw Where did yeah but brad brad sent it over oh okay so, yeah, uh, essentially just saying, hey, it's coming. It should be as easy to implement as FSR2. Uh, once again, the, these are the panels of developers. Uh, this isn't, you know, any sort of like consumer talk or release or anything like that. So, um, you know, yeah. very, very, very high level details, just getting developers on board with with the new, newest technologies. Yep. And then uh, the AMD had one on, you know, they had another class on, you know, optimizing for Ryzen. I didn't. I haven't really gotten to listen to the whole thing, but uh, a lot of it just basic lessons. We're already seeing that, you know, they have been a problem, like um, making sure that you're not uh, <laughs> you're not hard coding your game to run on physical. Like you need to run on this core and this. A lot of games uh, will want to run on certain cores, and they're basically saying let Windows run that instead because it's a problem, and it's it's been a problem for some games that. Um, with the current Ryzen 9 7950X 3D, they want to run on both chiplets, and that's not good. So, yeah, AMD kind of had a number of sessions, right? Yeah, well, actually, so did NVIDIA. Both NVIDIA and AMD had, you know, again, probably a dozen different classes that they, because, you know, you go in there, you listen to them. The people actually making the games, they get tips, they get information on what to do. There was one on direct storage that that was pretty interesting I, I dropped a couple slides in there but um one of the takeaways i, I think i got was it bypass because i mean it's been a little opaque for me like why windows 11 is better than windows 10 for direct storage going forward mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i haven't really gotten like any answers to it because I, I haven't tried too hard but you know the amd presentation on direct storage is like uh one of the features is bypass io that i there's a slide in here. It basically is, a, you know, one of the things that uh, you can basically skip a few steps on Windows 11 that I'm guessing you can't do on Windows 10 as as right now. So that that will actually be an advantage for direct storage on Windows 11 versus Windows 10. Because um, originally everybody said, oh, direct storage is going to Windows 10, but only some features of uh, direct storage is going to uh, Windows 10. Probably the most important ones, but... Bypass I.O., I'm guessing, is not going there. So that actually kind of surfaced up in that class. Oh, wow. Okay, that is interesting. And, you, you, yeah, you, you weren't able to go to that class. Uh, no, but it's actually but, online. I'm I'm going to actually gonna digest the whole thing when I get a chance. been a little busy with uh, stuff. So. Yeah, send me those links. I'll, I'll share them in Discord, too, uh, just in case people want to wanna see. But, yeah. yeah apparently they have a demo. I, I want to grab this demo they have. That Avocado so. Mark? No, it's their own. I think it's their own direct storage test. But there's, you know, a lot of really, a lot of uh, cool stuff happening. So, you know, it's interesting. I didn't realize, like, uh, one of the, with uh, the amount of steps, like the traditional Win32 data flow, on that one slide, you're making four copies of data. You, you pull it off of the storage device. It goes to the OSIO buffer, the app IO buffer upload heap and then you send it to the the um, gpu so the, with direct storage you're now going basically 
directly like it's basically wet. So, f and actually, you can get up to five copies, and then with uh, direct storage, you can basically cut out like I think it gets cuts it down to like two steps. I think so. <laughs> nice, but yeah, a lot of a lot of cool nerd stuff. Um, I will say, so again, Nvidia, a lot of different classes where they talk to developers about graphics techniques. Uh, they're awesome. There are a bunch of epic demos that are really awesome uh, using the new Unreal Engine. A epic, epic, and Unreal was very heavily <laughs> there. They sponsored the show. They had the biggest booth, I think, uh, on the, on the whole show floor. So, Unreal yeah. had a, a and, big, um, big presence. <laughs> but AMD was there. Nvidia is there. I mean, not on the floor, but in classes with technical tracks. I didn't see any for Intel. I know they were there. They mm -hmm. had some booths, but I didn't see any public developer classes for Intel graphics, which is um, a little disturbing, I think. Did I, maybe I missed it, but like if you search GDC Intel 2022, they show up with a bunch of classes. Uh, I didn't see much evangelizing this year, though. So, hmm. Well, hopefully that's just related to the internal upheaval, not necessarily because it's a sign of fallout from internal upheaval yeah i mean it Hopefully. could be somebody just said hey we're not you know we can't afford this we're not gonna you we're, we're cutting your budget for this so who knows maybe trade show budgets went through a toilet that or it's just like given the timing of you know personnel changes like it could also yeah. be like oh we need to deal with this as opposed to you know going to this show where we're not even confident yet like what we're presenting given that there's going to be changes in how we handle this right right they they didn't remember they didn't have a full presence at CES either. Um, yeah, so I guess it kind of implies like yeah, somebody some some accountant somewhere took a red pen and there goes your trade show budget. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, people and the problem is people are going to read into it, but who knows, right? So it, it was, not, a, company like in, a company like Intel likes to have their own special event, but whether they're going to have that event, of course, is just the other question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Right? There's no Arc Developer Conference coming up that I know of. Right. Hmm. It would make sense to roll it into your own event too, because you're. Mm -hmm. But it's just harder to attract people, I think, sometimes, and it it does feel like, you know, again, when you go to something like GDC, you do have to talk to developers, but, you know, again, they had they had several booths, you know, private meeting rooms set up on the floor too. So. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just remember that that Intel event we did go at last year, Arc hadn't launched, or at least the A seven fifty A seven seventy hadn't launched yet. So, oh really? Uh, yeah, I remember because Raja. Oh, last year. Last I year. Was, yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was thinking this year, but no, no. Last yeah, year, yeah, that's right. I don't. <laughs> what an adventure it's been! <laughs> what an adventure! Um, yeah, GDC. I mean, it was it was fun. It was, that's the second trade show post pandemic times that we've. Uh, been to well i guess the intel one was kind of a mini trade show but yeah a lot of people saw a lot of a lot of cool cool people talk to some old friends some new ones <laughs> but it, it was nice that it was literally in our neighborhood we just walked from the office down to the show floor uh so that was <laughs> that was nice yeah um yeah. and anything else from gdc you want to cover or I don't think so. I mean, there again, a lot of it's not it's not very, you know, focused on the public. So no consumer stuff, mostly. But, uh, you know, overall, good show. 
Yeah, I think. We, we did get some good videos out. Uh, like Gordon said, uh, interviewed a guy from uh, Puget Systems was there, uh, one of their benchmarkers. So talked to them about game development rigs. Um, uh, what was his name? Charles Worth, uh, a longtime overclocker. Gordon had a chat with. He now works yeah. at uh, UL. So watch that. And then, yeah, we have the interview with CD Projekt Red and NVIDIA going up later today. Uh, so, yeah. All in all, a nice little trade show. <laughs> Keeps us busy. Um, you know what else kept us busy was the announcement of uh, Gordon Moore. Uh, Mark, mm-hmm. you you uh, wrote a piece on, on PC World. I, I linked to it in the description if anyone wants to read it. But uh, yeah. give, it, give <laughs> us the news. What happened? So it's one of those unfortunate uh, uh, things, both from a uh, timing perspective as well as just obviously the the fact that he he passed away. I mean, it happened last Friday, which meant that everyone was <laughs> Friday night, which meant everyone was sort of scrambling to uh, get the story up. Uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of publications either got it up Friday or Saturday morning. Uh, Gordon Moore was one of those people that is whose shadow just kind of hangs over the technology industry um uh, more really isn't and hasn't been a presence uh in terms of his actual personality or commenting uh for the last you know a few i don't know decade or so but you know it's kind of like imagining a technology world without bill gates you always know that he's there he's had an influence there he's available sometimes for comments he just has a presence there that overshadows everything and that's what Moore really did for the early days of the semiconductor uh uh business i mean you know <laughs> if you want to put this in a more colloquial term i mean the guy was the og right so um I mean, he was a Gordon. We put down, I mean, our sort of obituary of him leads off with the fact that he is really known for Moore's Law, but he's also known as a co founder of Intel, but also known as a philanthropist as well. And we'll talk about a lot a little bit later. But if you're always looking for somebody who is, you know, giving back to the industry, uh, Gordon Moore and his wife, Betty, uh, certainly did that. Um, and I think that needs to be, you know, talked about and, you know, even celebrated as well. But Moore was a, a, a Bay Area kid. He went to uh, Cal Berkeley. Uh, he had a Bachelor of Science. He then went on to Caltech. Uh, he ended up with a chemistry degree, although he did some work in physics. Um, and then when he moved into industry, of course, that's when he started making his impact. He started off at Shockley and uh shockley was uh, a company that was involved obviously early on in the semiconductor business but it was when he left shockley he was one of the so-called traitorous eight the eight engineers that left uh and joined fairchild uh remember too that this was you know a time you know i'm not sure how common it was for people to leave jobs at that point in time but you know again you probably grew up with, you know, uh, fathers or grandfathers who, you know, worked for a single employer for their entire life. So to, you know, to leave and to join and to form new companies was pretty revolutionary, both from a cultural as well from a technical standpoint. So it's that uh, Fairchild that really, you know, the semiconductor industry sort of took off. Uh, Fairchild's known for having the, you know, what they call the first commercially practical integrated circuit. Um, in fact, there's a little um, uh, plaque that sort of celebrates this. 
And he worked there for a number of years. Um, it's, of course, when he left Fairchild, too, that we start to know him because he joined, uh, he formed uh, NM Electronics with Robert Noyce, who's also a pioneer, a giant in the industry. And that later became Intel. Um, and so at basically, he, along with Noyce and Andy, uh, not Andy Bryant, uh, uh, Andy Grove, sorry, uh, are really known as the sort of the three founders of Intel, though Grove joined at the date of the incorporation. So he's he's more uh, someone who comes in a little bit later. And and when was but, Intel founded? Sorry. Just oh, Intel was founded right. in uh, 1968. Okay. So we're talking about early on. And, 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 and Moore was not the CEO or president there. He was an executive vice president for a number of different years. So it's at, it's at Intel, obviously, that Intel uh, starts developing and started as a, as a memory business and shifts over to logic. Uh, and then in 1979, uh, Moore becomes chairman and chief executive. And that's sort of the early glory dear, early glory years of Intel. Uh, during that time, uh, Intel had just announced the 8088, which is, of course, a seminal piece of logic it had just announced uh shifted there to the 8086 which basically takes the 16 bus and makes it a little bit more of an affordable 8-bit bus and then goes through the what we consider to be sort of the at least for me uh the sort of the founding pioneer products of intel so he he holds that position uh, CEO until 1987, but from then we're seeing things like ASICs, we're seeing things like the 286, we're things, seeing things like the 386. And it's interesting, at the end of his tenure is when the semiconductor industry has a downturn. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fairly severe downturn in, in terms of, you know, what the industry went through, kind of a little bit like, I guess, what we saw in the last couple of years. And then he hands the uh, position over of CEO over to, um, to Grove. And um, basically at that point in time, he's turns into a chairman. He pulls back a little ways. Uh, eventually he becomes an executive chairman and again, pulls back a little bit further. And it's during this time that, um, you know, his, what we consider to be sort of his seminal, you know, name or seminal work, which is Moore's Law, becomes uh, into, gets into play. He, he actually uh, came up with a concept of Moore's Law in 1965, where, you know, a lot of magazines will ask, you know, uh, important people for predictions of the future. So he basically just said at that point in time that he believed that the number of transistors in a given microprocessor would increase or sorry, double in about a year's time. I think today we usually consider that to be sort of um, we translate that into the uh, uh, density of uh, uh, the transistor density will double in about a year's time. He later revised it to about two years. I think Generally speaking, it's considered to be about you know, 18 months, depending upon how you look at it. And that has obviously been sort of the driving force in the industry. I mean, there's all sorts of different, I don't know if you want to call them corollaries, but, you know, different ways to, um, you know, use Moore's Law. It's been sort of the yardstick by which we measure uh, continued, uh, uh, the continued pace of uh, <clears throat> transistor 
not only fabrication and lithography, but also just how quickly uh, a chip manufacturer can go ahead and, you know, improve production, improve the quality of their chips. Uh, it's been, it's, it's, we call it Moore's law. It's technically an axiom, but it's honestly regularly enough, regularly enough that Intel obviously for a number, number of years use what's called the TikTok model, where they would go ahead and implement a new process on one year and then revise the design on the other. And they went from there, you know, again, fairly regularly uh, until they sort of ran into that wall with the 14 nanometer and, and 10 nanometer process technologies. Um, but again, you know, um, we think about chips that use the same power, um, but increase the clock speed, or you can go ahead and, and uh, keep the same clock speed and reduce the power. I mean, these are the th sort of things that um, govern the introduction of mobile processors and uh, even processors in the, um, <clears throat> in, the um, uh, in, in the handheld space as well, to some extent. Um, and then, you know, as, as Moore's career sort of, again, sort of just as he pulled back a little bit more, he founded the Gordon Betty Moore Foundation. Uh, and this was basically him taking a lot of the money that he made in terms of Intel stock and just giving it back. Um, it's uh, he, he basically chose not to invest in sort of faddish technologies. He chose not to invest in some of the things that uh, he felt like he couldn't make a difference in. Um, but he looked at investing in uh, things like um, uh, education and uh, museums in the Bay Area, um, scientific research, higher education, cons uh, environmental conservation. These are all things that he felt that he could make a difference in. And for a while there, um, in terms of, I think it was a 2017 the Chronicle of Philanthropy basically said that he was the uh, he and his wife uh, through their foundation gave the most out of any uh, person in California. So it was at that time it was six point three billion dollars. So you know, again, you look at somebody who, um, you know, you look at technology these days, and you look at. Uh, you look at people who, you know, consider, you know, you look at the sort of the reputation of some of these high tech founders as somebody who is uh, people who are predatory, who use algorithms and uh, advertisements and things like that to try and extract as much money out of their customers as they can. I don't know if if, if Intel per se would be, you know, you would characterize that of, of Intel, but more definitely gave back what he what he he, he took in. Um, and in fact, I think the foundation still has along the lines of about $5 billion today. Um, and that obviously will keep on going through his, his wife's work. He's surround, he's survived by, uh, I think it was two children and four grandchildren as well. Um, so, you know, I've, I only met him once. Um, there was a, you know, Intel occasionally will go ahead and, and, and have, uh, had events where, you know, he would speak up on stage and, uh, you know, my very superficial um, reaction to him was kind of confirming what I've always kind of felt about the chip industry and that um, the chip industry tends to, and tends to attract what I would consider to be decent people. Um, <clears throat> you know, people who are, well, they have to be grounded, right? Cause they, they, they obviously develop devices. Um, you have to, you know, it's it's something that's uh, governed by physics. Um, it's not something that you, you know, you write down in terms of code and you can make 5 billion copies of it and license them out in terms of subscriptions. Um, you have to, 
come up with a chip and then you have to sell it. Uh, and, you know, eventually that chip will be outpaced by something else. Uh, and he always just felt sort of just somebody who was, you know, just a decent guy, kind of, kind of humble, didn't really care about such things. In fact, he, he didn't really like the term Moore's Law is my understanding. Um, I don't know if that was fact that it was, you know, attributed to him and he just didn't like the sort of that, you know, that egotistical, uh, you know, sort of uh, attribution uh, or if he just didn't feel that it was a law. Um, but in any event, um, you know, just hearing him speak, he just felt like a pretty decent guy. Um, and I think that, you know, going forward, I mean, uh, we've obviously had discussions about whether Moore's law is in fact, uh, still, you know, viable. Uh, we talked a little bit about before we got online about <clears throat> how, you know, some people sort of, you know, in Jensen and NVIDIA, uh, doesn't necessarily think that, uh, Moore's law is alive and well, but if you look at say Pat Gelsinger, who has been, you know, really vocal about the fact that he has been influenced by people like noise and, and more. Uh, and I think he almost sees Moore's law as maybe this is an odd way of characterizing it, but almost like a public trust. Like he feels that it will continue and that it's Intel's obligation to, to maintain that pace. Um, you know, we, it's not necessarily part and parcel of this conversation, but, you know, Intel is really trying to catch up to uh, that. I don't even know if it's called TikTok anymore, but, you know, that, that pace of, of, of technology leadership that it had for a while and sort of just everything sort of slipped uh, when it hit that, you know, that 14 to 10 nanometer transition and so forth. So, um, but I think the bottom line is, is that, you know, more in and of himself, you know, was one of these, I think we can call them truly great men who just, you know, in fact, drove the industry, but also too, and I don't, again, I don't know him necessarily personally, but probably a truly great person as well. And in terms of what he did uh, with his money and what he's tried to do with that in terms of, um, uh, you know, giving it back. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit of an odd situation, I guess, and a little bit of a you know a sadder world without more. Um, but I think that you know it's it's somebody will. I don't know if anyone's going to necessarily take his place, but I think is you know is that certain that that uh, that his to use a kind of a cliche term, his shadow is it, 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 he's going to cast a long shadow over <laughs> decades to come. So, Gordon, did you get a chance to meet him? Have, did you ever meet him? No, no. I mean, I've probably seen him speak at a couple of places, but never met him. I <clears throat> Intel did an event at his house, one of his like the house he lived at for a while. So that was that was, gosh, that must have been four or five years ago. So that was in Hawaii because he lived in Hawaii, right? He died. No, not it was a when he lived here in the valley. So oh, okay, right. Uh, and I, I'm just trying to think of like, um. Sorry, I, I was just thinking about a, an interview. I, I read a story, uh, uh, PC Mags, a uh, long time, uh, you know, Sasha over there wrote about it. And he did an interview with him in 2005. And I was just thinking about him commenting about, because again, you know, 2005 things that, you know, the Intel train had slipped off the tracks a bit too. Mm -hmm. So it's just funny to like, <laughs> looking at this interview from, you know, almost 18 years ago, you know, commenting about like, yeah, you know, we've, We've obviously come off the tracks a little bit, but, you know, we think we're going to get it back. You're going to get it back on the tracks. And 
they did. So it's just, just I was just thinking about that because, because <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to you know take him from Intel, right? He's 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 part of the Intel, you know, name, right? So, and you know, sort of the issues they've had the last few years again. So we're in the same we're in the same place again almost. When when, when was he less active at right. Intel? What, like like what time frame? Did he stop? I'm sorry. What like, was the question? What what time frame was he less active at Intel? Like uh, oh right, uh, he was basically gave up. He he gave up the CEO position in in, uh, in 1987, and then was chairman through 97. So oh, okay. you know, chairman certainly has a role there, but it's obviously steps back in favor of growth. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, again, that was pretty much you know again through 386 so the penny end doesn't come too far behind that so but that's you know essentially that's groves responsibility so um you know i, I don't know if it's uh, you know i guess one of the questions that you know comes to my mind is whether moore's law is is as relevant in a world i mean it, it isn't to some extent because you have to like if you look at for example with intel and amd are doing with with um chiplets you still have a core cpu but you also have um chiplets whose peripheral logic or supplementary logic just isn't as tied to moore's law you can go ahead and run older process technologies and uh do that a little bit to save some cost um you know obviously older those older technologies take up a little bit more space but um you know i think that people are sort of balancing that you know that single monolithic piece of silicon versus you know, a more modular design, which doesn't necessarily need the latest and greatest technology. Um, if you're, you know, you're trying to save a little money here and there or trying to, you know, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see exactly what happens going forward. Um, and I think maybe that's what Jensen was referring to. Oops, sorry, I'm getting a little bit of, <laughs> it's blowing like crazy here. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not entirely certain if it's irrelevant before, but again, you know, people like Gelsinger, you know, obviously believe very strongly uh, in that it is relevant and going forward. So I don't know. We'll have to see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, although I, I think the thing that is, um, kind of the bummer part in all this, obviously it's, it's terrible to see a, you know, great person like this, uh, pass, but you know, I think the bummer part of this is, and I, I it's interesting. I, it kind of tells me a little bit more about him because like he will always be remembered for Moore's law. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, it's probably like, I'm sure it's like, great, some stupid reporter asked me to summarize an incredibly ta- complicated right. subject, yep. years of work, my life's work, into distill that into one sentence. And it was probably like, okay, and that's, that's and probably then, the one thing. they put it on a plaque and... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it sounds like he, he, he did come, he finally accepted the fact that it was like, well, this is never going to, but it's just... Right. It's just it's just a little too bad that that's like the you know just this really complicated thing distilled into one thing and that's the only thing people can remember. Where I was like, <laughs> well, that was a thing that happened during those days too. Is that you know we didn't <laughs> we didn't have these intermediary PR people that would just get their get in the way. You could actually call up a person like a noise or a gates or someone of that sort. And, you know, if they were free, they would actually talk to you. So, I mean, you actually could write these, you know, and I, you know, I say this cause I'm in the media too. These, you know, these, these silly little stories where you say, Hey, look, all right. You know, 
play science fiction author, predict what's going to happen 10 years in the future, and nobody's ever going to check you. <laughs> but I mean, that's what happened here, right? I mean, the Electronics Magazine just calls them up and says, you know, hey, what's going to happen over the next 10 years? And I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming he gave it, you know, a, a deep, you know, level of thought, but I, I you know, I, you know, yeah. I mean, he probably was, I don't know if it was even a phone call, it could have been a letter. Maybe he, he formulated this over a period of time. In any event, though, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that doesn't happen unless some stupid media person goes ahead and says, hey, what's well, the future? <laughs> as much as he was uncomfortable with that, though, I, I think it's I think it's also a little bit. I think the impact of it may have been good for the industry in the sense sure. of like it gave people something to aspire to and yeah. try to hit. Right. Like. Um, I don't, I, I didn't, I haven't fact checked this. So take this with a grain of salt, maybe a rock of salt, but I, I, I think I read somewhere. I heard that, um, tablets came into being because people were so influenced by seeing pads on star Trek, right? Like, like, so we, humans can kind of plant these ideas and other humans and create really amazing things, um, by like by virtue of influence, you know, like by, by proxy. So, I mean, as much as like, again, as much as he might've hated this, I do think that like having this as, you know, some kind of, again, like maybe even aspirational marker really helped propel things forward faster. Cause people were like, you know what? Yeah. Let's see if we can make that happen. And then when it kept, when it keeps happening, you're like, yeah, that's great. Let's, that was fun. Let's do it again. Right. <laughs> so even though, even though now we're not really in that particular exact cycle, it's still something in the back of people's heads where they're like, Hey, like, can we push it further? Can we do more with this? As opposed to just being like, well, that was cool. We can just let that sit. Right. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that's the, the, if you went to an IEEE conference or an ISCC, ISSCC conference, yeah, those were the kind of those benchmark uh, projections and so forth that they, they would project and people would sort of live up to. So, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, it's a great way. I think, you know, in some sense, um, maybe, you know, when you, when you have something that's as, I think fundamentally understandable as, as this, you're right. I think people look at it as a benchmark. Maybe people depend upon it too much uh, because, you know, once <laughs> again, I mean, once you, you start building in like engineers, obviously come up with concepts that are some of which are only understandable to other engineers. And I think the fact that Moore's law is accessible to a number of different types of people uh, is both good and bad because all of a sudden the business types go, oh, hey, I understand this. <laughs> Where are you in relationship to? Where are you in relation to Moore's Law? How are you on that pace? And then all of a sudden that has its own sort of knock on effects as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I guess the, the current debate of is it relevant or not will continue to wage. I guess it, it depends on on each company. And how they see the cost, because it's not just, it's the physics of it, but also the cost of it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, too, I, again, the one thing that, you know, that I think is obviously overlooked is that, you know, until he passed away, was the fact that he was such a philanthropist. I mean, we just don't have that many people, you know, that are, you know, have foundations. I mean, you know, I can think of Gates and um, the gentleman who runs... Uh, Oh goodness, the big 
building in San Francisco, uh, Salesforce. Yeah, yeah Mark right. Ben Hoffman. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. I mean, and you look at maybe Zuckerberg, but I think that's been driven by his wife as much as anything else. So you just don't really see too many people of of, of those magnitudes giving away money like that. So I, 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 for me, I've always thought that that was one of his most underappreciated things. I would say that like listening to you give the you know overview the kind of the eulogy almost for him, I was like struck by how like nicely and enca- you encapsulated. But then I when I really think about it, like you wouldn't even been able to do that if he hadn't lived the life that he lived, right? So I think that just kind of proves your point right there. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely, totally agree. So yeah, and the fact that he's you know I I think there's you know sounds like very humble like like i can't believe this thing is named after me that i made up just a, in one interview and i kind of like i think i'm i buy into the that theory that yeah he's just like maybe it had been called something else but it's named after him but you know that just sort of, sort of speaks to his humility it sounds mm-hmm. like yeah and intel's named a couple of things afterwards i think there's a facility in uh was it hillsborough i believe it is that's named yeah. after him and i think there's a cafe there as well but i mean you know <clears throat> those things are a little bit more trivial compared to you know what is what he accomplished <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just think of it. I mean, the 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 he's, the things he worked on, you know, basically have created this huge industry and you know changed changed the world, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. amazing. Definitely, yeah. Thank you, Mark, for uh, for taking us through that. And and once again, there's a link to the article uh, that Mark wrote if if you want to go read some more. So just you know, th- thought it'd be interesting to to cover it on the on the full nerd. For damn sure because of his uh, yeah. impact on on what we talk about all the time mm-hmm. um but we yeah we, we need to to wrap it up in a little bit so let's uh let's switch over to some uh questions and answers if, if you're watching or right now get to a question in and at pc world so i can see it that's kind of the easiest way to do it um uh, or if you're listening or watching this later uh, there's a link to our Discord. There's a, a question section over there that you can drop a question in, and hopefully we can get to it uh, on a future episode. So, uh, yeah, while, while we're waiting for some live questions to come in, I do have some uh, good ones uh, over on the Discord that have been piling up. A uh, friend of the show, Ziv, uh, who is also a mod on our Discord, thank you for, for being a mod, uh, said... Uh, Gamers Nexus just put out a video ranting about the disappearance of segmented debug LED displays on reasonably priced motherboards. Uh, the questions are, are there any other features you've seen go away over the years that you wish were brought back or new features that actually should go away? Uh, and I don't, I don't think we even have to keep this to motherboards, but... Can I but jump yeah, the, in just super quick? Elena's uh, got something. Uh, I actually miss having the included speaker. Like oh. it's, it's like, I mean, it's like a thing that most people don't think about anymore, but it's actually really useful to have still, like just in case you need it. I, yeah, I, I would think I would like the speaker as well, but more importantly, I, I wish, you know, funny, cause I, I'm thinking about, cause for people who don't know the debug LED, it basically gives you an error code. And of course the beep, the speaker gives you the beep code, but, mm-hmm. and we've gone I, I, I look back and a lot, this has been a nut, the motherboard industry's attacked many times. There was a point where Asus actually had a digitized, so they digitized the voice and then it would tell you the error 
it would actually tell you like what the error was. <laughs> it was always like it was always a little tiny speaker, and you go like, "What is she saying? Something about RAM?" <laughs> and then I remember also, uh, you know, you had the OLED displays. Like you try to give you plain language. My motherboard down here actually gives you plain language. You know what what's going on during post. But I kind of wish everybody would, if we had the debug or the postcode, can we all just use the same like book for what this like? Can it just mean the same thing? But it's yeah. like the gigabyte. This means this on an MSI. Means this on an ASUS. Means this on an ASRock. You know, like can't we just use the same? It's like for some reason they're always a little bit different. So. I kind of wish there were some uniform code besides the fact that you could have uh, the debug. I mean, I saw that debug video too. I thought it was really good because it it does, it is crazy that, you know, you're not getting that on $200 motherboards, you know? Well, like and everything the, floated up, right? So now your high-end boards are in the four, three to $500 range. So it's nuts. Before yeah. that would be like $200. Yeah, because what I remember was like, the solid mid, it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had $100 segment, $200, and then maybe they, some some would push into $300. Yeah. And now everything's basically ratcheted up to where, you know, mm. it costs twice as much. So now a, a, the mid-range $200 motherboard is now two to four, $500, and, yeah. and the low-end boards are really stripped down. So Super rough. It's a bummer. But, you know, I mean, they've improved the other things. They've The VRMs have gotten better, but then they've taken other features off. So I I'm, and I do wonder if that's because of the consolidation, you know, because it really, it feels like there's really four main motherboard brands that are we see. And uh, when, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, when you had 10, 11 motherboard makers, there wasn't, there, everybody did different things. So it feels like this is a good time for, uh, somebody to attack got that lower end mid range price by pushing, giving you some of those livability features on a motherboard, but well, at a lower price. What, what what would you prefer giving up? Because I mean, there are a lot of quality of life improvements. Like, I, I, I mean, even just one of the most basic ones too is just thinking of a uh, the a built in I/O shield, right? Like I feel like when I even when I first first started building computers, which wasn't that long ago, a lot of motherboards that I built with had had a you know a, a little flimsy I/O shield that you yeah. had to put in yourself. Now I feel like every motherboard we use like has a built-in I/O shield. Well, you're building with higher end parts, though. True. These yeah. Days. Yeah. <laughs> I do, when I'm building and doing stuff for the site or have been in the past, I still have to deal with the I/O shield. Yeah. It, it I, I think it's like actually very similar to cars, though. Because you remember 30 years ago, like a Strippo car had roll-up windows and nothing was powered and there's no air conditioner. I mean, that was probably 40 years ago. but And then it just got to the point where even budget cars now have, you know, uh, power windows. They have air conditioning. Like, you can't get a car probably without air conditioning anymore. And um, the problem is... Everybody says like, oh, I wish you just kind of made them like they used to. But everybody wants, you know, if you jumped into a Strippo budget car and it didn't have power windows, you'd be like, what? You know, today it's just like it. So like IO Shield is like, OK, that's a penny, three pennies or like building it in. That's like four pennies. And then you're like, OK, your speaker. OK, that's a nickel. And then the debug. But it all kind of adds up to eventually the cost, the cost of the components actually go up. So and then uh, I don't know. I mean. 
I wonder if this is just because a lot of people are like, is this just them being opportunistic and wanting to increase prices? Or is it because everybody just wants all these features now and all those features come with additional prices, which lets them add on an you know additional 10 to 20 percent because we got to do all this other stuff. We might as well add on a little more profit taking to, to it also. I don't I don't really know because it would take the companies actually kind of opening the books as well. So, you know, I mean, a lot of that, interestingly, this, for the Steve video, that's actually the engineers at the company saying like, oh, I just hate this. Why the hell don't we do this? Because the engineers will tell you one thing that's very different than what the business people tell you. <laughs> like the business people are like, yeah, you know, I love engineers. God bless them. They do everything. They make everything work. But look, look at these numbers. You want to look at these numbers? Okay, because the engineers don't look at the numbers. I talk to accounting, CFOs coming down here, biting my ass all day. We got to increase prices. I don't really know what the truth is, but, you know, what engineers want to make for their product is not always what the business people can tell you like that's yeah you could make it and then by the way you need to get your resume ready because we'll all be out of a job in six months so i don't i don't really know what the truth is would um, you be in favor of oh go ahead oh i was gonna say like well is there also just added thing where because the chips are becoming much more power hungry they're, gonna ha they're having to do different things with engineering that's raising costs as well i actually always have wondered that too in the last what generation or two well, I um, I know that the 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 cost that's just been justified lately is you know it's really hard. They, it was really hard to do Gen four. It's real expensive, and doing Gen five is very expensive. You know, it used to be a budget board was you know Steve talked about this too, but it used to be a budget board it was like four layers, right? Like thin as a Ritz cracker, and now <laughs> they've had to add more layers because of the signal integrity for it. So like, so again, it is more expensive. There are actually a lot more costs when you when you put in a dollar's worth of aluminum for their cool heat sinks that everybody wants, it all adds up. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, I know people just want to just simply say, oh, it's greed, they're ripping me off. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure there's profit-taking because, by the way, they are for-profit companies, but I think people shouldn't always assume it's just simply we're going to double the price because we can. You know, I think it's just maybe the reality is people want all these really fancy features now, and it costs money. you got to pay people for all these ASICs. Mark, you had a question? Yeah, I was just curious. Since you brought up the car and you brought up the guys brought up the whole, you know, speakers and so forth, would you be in favor of something like an OBD port for a motherboard? Yeah, no, I mean, because it's interesting because this gets back to, um, uh, again, go watch Steve's rant because, you know, it's always, it's funny to see a, a man yell at the clouds. Um, <laughs> I think he has a person who does it regularly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I, I think, you know, because he was asking for, like, a universal or, or a way to, you know, add a debug onto a motherboard. Oh, he was asking I, for that. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're actually, you, you could do that before. I think you still can do that today, but it's not very popular. I still have, like, a, like, you'd plug it into a PCI slot, and it would give you the debug. In fact, I have one that you plug into a mother a laptop, <laughs> because, you know, laptops used to have, you know, you could plug it into like, a, I God, where the hell did it plug into? Would it plug into a sodium slot or something? But you could, or some of the, one of the expansion slots, and you would, and it would give you the, the postcode. There are ways to do it. Um, but I, I just don't, I, I would be in favor of a, of a, you know, you're right. Like it really should be for people to know all cars have what's called an ODB2 port onboard diagnostic. It's, it's a kind of funky triangular shaped mm -hmm, square right. plug. You plug a tool into it. I have a Bluetooth one for my cars. You can plug in it. But if everybody in the industry had like, hey, let's have a standardized OBD2 port for motherboards to give you that debug, 
the problem though is like adds cost. It's adds well, it adds cost, and then I mean, it's good for a technician to have, but for because they the implication is you're a budget buyer, uh, you're building your first computer, you don't know what to do. Are they really going to have this extra twenty dollar doohickey? So. Um, I would like that though. I mean, that'd be pretty neat to have because it would be nice to yeah. have OBD. And I, I actually don't know why we don't have the post information on the dam. <laughs> why does it always have to be stick your head in your case to see it? <laughs> why can't we have that come out? Well, but there's no more bays, right? Couldn't you have like a, a front bay that would display like the, and I think people have actually had external postcode readers, but I would like an external postcode reader. Either you plug into the back of the, maybe the IO shield, you plug it in there and, but. Or you could just, you have everything routed over USB today, these days anyway. So you can come up with a protocol and maybe route it over a dedicated port. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, that's going to add a lot more layers of yeah, complexity. So. so I would think, you know, there's, there's probably, there's like a, you know, there's an, uh, low pin LPC, whatever the low pin count, mm-hmm. uh, Basically for the ISA, basically for like ISA bus functionality, you can still get that information out of there. So I'm sure you could get it out of it. But, and I was looking for that after I saw the Steve video. I was like, oh, did somebody make? And like the ones I saw are like, oh, and oh, this is cool. It's a it's a debug card that plugs into PCI and ISA. <laughs> it's like, okay, so ah, it takes me back. Yeah, they still sell them though. Interestingly, probably for industrial, maybe for industrial use or something or old stock. I don't know, but yeah, no, it really, it really does make me think like a debug should be livability. That's like a basic function that should be on, on budget boards. So it would be nice, but then everybody's going to want their one feature for that budget board too. Right. So I don't know if it's possible again, you know, it's always fun. Everybody says they want this, and then you make that product, and nobody buys it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess ideally, what it should be is the board vendor should strive to you not have any problems, and it has actually gotten so user friendly to build a you know gaming box, even for entry level people. I guess I can see the justification, and like, look, we've made it so reliable, you don't need to worry about this stuff. But we know that's not true. It's not about reliability, though. It's like when you're going through your first build, sometimes like you just don't seat something properly or you don't know to put the RAM in the certain slots so it boots properly, right? Yeah. And even though you may be trying to read the manual, that all may still be Greek to you, right? If you're, you know, So if you have something yeah. where it's like, here's the readout, and you're like, oh, that means that. Okay, now I can look that up online. It's a heck of a lot easier than just going like, I don't know what's wrong. Help me build a PC on <laughs> <Yeah>. Reddit. <laughs> well, and it clearly still comes up because, um, you know, they had that problem where the motherboard vendor put a sticker on the RAM slots because <laughs> people were still populating them correctly and Ooh. they used the wrong kind of glue on the on the sticker. Right? So, I forgot about oh, that. That was so sad. It was like a well-intentioned yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so really wrong. sad, right? Yeah. And they got dragged through the mud yeah. over that. Yeah. They're trying so hard to help the people. <laughs> well, here's a follow-up motherboard question from uh, Champ uh, 8007. Uh, how much difference do motherboards really have on performance? Assume that one is not overclocking or doing more advanced things like that. Does a Z-series Z motherboard with an i9 have any better performance than an H-series motherboard with the same processor, assuming the user isn't using any of the only Z features? Uh, yeah, so just normal use. No overclocking, anything like that. What, what do you think the impact on performance is? 
I think there's, it's a really complicated question because there have been documented cases where they didn't they didn't basically build the board. Well, they didn't they didn't configure them out of the box to work with the higher end processors and the VRMs would overheat. So you could like people are saying twenty percent performance drops because the VRMs are overheating. I, I think in general, if everybody has if everybody has if they've done their homework doing that board right, it's not doesn't make a big difference. For most people, you don't need all the fancy bling stuff if you're gonna run it bone stock and Honestly, if you're going to run it bone stock and do the things that everybody does, which is play games, browse the internet, run office, it probably does not make a difference 90% of the time. So I think don't worry about it. But, you know, people always want, I have $600 CPU. I need to have my $500 motherboard because I want these LEDs. I want these VRMs. And it's like the classic uh, K versus non-K CPU or, you know, the vast majority of people, everybody who watches YouTube thinks that everybody who buys a K-SKU CPU overclocks. Oh, they're all like liquid nitrogen overclocking to the nth degree. The vast majority of people who buy K-CPUs never, ever take that thing out of stock. They never even run XMP because they just... Well, Gordon, what, you, what is stock, though? Because some motherboards will uh, be like, oh, you're using a, a water cooler? Then take all the limits yeah. off. So no, that's I mean, technically you know, that's the, overclocking. It is overclocking, but I mean, I just think that the vast majority of people really don't, they're not hardcore overclockers, and everybody thinks that everybody is, and that's just not true. That's just not true. But most people want to buy the KCPU because it's high-performance cells, you know? It, well, it's nice to also sometimes just have that as a backup option. I don't know. I think, well, like, I mean... Like a former colleague at... Uh, a previous job you also worked with him he had a 2500k for the longest time and when it started getting pokey he finally was like oh i guess it's time to overclock this and get some more life out of it so i mean there are there's like a thin segment of the people who buy an over an overclockable processor who do it with a specific plan in mind but isn't yeah. one of the, sorry Ahead, oh, I was going to say, but isn't one of the things that we we're, we need to focus on too, not just overclocking, but like PCIe? Because I mean, there are some differences in terms of the, <laughs> I mean, it depends on which, I guess it depends on which chipset you're, maybe the generation you're looking at. But I always think of that as one of the key things of, of the, the differentiations between the chipsets too, especially as we move from platform to platform. Yeah. But this question specifically just said the performance. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not the, no, the but, actual chipset features, but good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because definitely you're not going to, because I do think people really get carried away when they say, oh, these things. I'm not, and again, I, I really don't think for most people it makes a difference. But that doesn't mean you're just getting ripped off on the year. On a $600 motherboard, you are getting grade A features, beautiful stuff, right? And there are real, real benefits to it. Like, it is there. Is it worth paying for it? Like, mm -hmm. if you're some cheap skate, are you going to be running a Gen 5 SSD or, you know, I, I don't know if it's something you even need to worry about. So, you know, you just have to balance that because they do want to upsell you. Are you going to use those features? If you're not, then, you know, don't, don't do the upsell. So. Okay. Are you uh, moving on Adam? Yeah. Yeah. If Elaine, if you need to pop out. I was going to say, if there's any quick questions that are specifically geared toward me, I should take them now before I pop off. Uh, I'm not seeing anything specific. Okay. Have fun, everybody. I have yeah. to run. There's an appointment I have to make. <laughs> oh, all right. See you. Thanks, Elena. All right. Uh, 
here's a good one uh, that Mark, you, you might be able to help out with too. A uh, friend of the show, Pyrocumulus, said, uh, since USB 4 and Thunderbolt 4 tunnels PCIe lanes, can external drives now outpace internal SATA? Even um, USB 3 Gen 2. I, sorry. It, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll hold that. Go ahead. I wouldn't say external. I, I don't know about SATA. I would still say that uh, an internal drive is going to outpace an external drive uh, on a regular basis. But I would honestly, that would just be a guess. I would have to just test it to see. I'm not sure. Um, any thoughts on that, Gordon? Well, I'm sorry. I missed, there. Uh, I missed the question. So it said, uh, you, since USB 4 and Thunderbolt 4 tunnels PCIe lanes, can external yeah. drives now outpace internal SATA? Even USB 3 oh, Gen 2 yeah. double SATA bandwidth. We've been we've we've been beyond it for a while, so. <laughs> so oh, if we're talking about SATA, yes, absolutely. Yes. But I just yeah. I usually think of it as just a general PCIe SSD. Yeah, and I, we're not. You know, the fact is, you know, we have very high end Gen four drives. Gen five is here. We're we're beyond Thunderbolt, so it's it's holding back your drives at this point. SATA is. Oh no! I mean, just even even Thunderbolt external versus internal. But yeah, right. SATA is like. <laughs> Yeah, my, SATA's not there. My 10 gig internet is faster than SATA drives. So, I mean, we yeah. should be seeing that those 80 gig uh, Thunderbolt slash USB specs later on this year, but we're not sure exactly when. Yeah, that'll be nice, right? Yeah. Uh, they also add on uh, what factors beyond legacy hardware support make SATA preferable to USB for storage, perhaps stability or latency? Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's, well, hmm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's you can do a lot over uh, over USB. So I, I mean, like, the main reason is hard drives. Yeah, right. Because I mean, honestly, that's that's so, <laughs> the only thing living on on SATA and it's inside your system. But yeah, I suppose you could do it externally. And I mean, I don't, if, I don't if, know if you back much up your advantage, if you yeah, back up your system, out of that much. No, uh, if, if you back up your system to a physical spinning hard drive, would you rather have it on the inside or? Over SATA or just plugged in USB in like an external drive? I I do both. I like it inside because it's just not going to sit there and I'm going to kick it over. But I actually back up to large uh, external hard drives. So, but internal is nice because it's sure. out of the way. But it's I've also like I I used to run multiple hard drives and then one would just like die and you wouldn't even notice for months because you don't access it. So. <laughs> I mean, with the price of SSDs coming down, too, I mean, I think that affects things as well. I mean, external spinning storage for me always was cheaper, and it was just it was just always just, you know, <laughs> an SSD was just maybe, you know, this is a few years ago, but just, you know, a few hundred megabytes or maybe a gigabyte or two or something of that sort. And it was always those external drives that were, sorry, maybe not a gigabyte, but anyways, the, the external spinning storage was always much more uh, uh, had much more capacity than an internal drive is concerned. And, and these days, I don't know. I don't have as much concern because if I, I, I don't have much data beyond beyond games that goes above, you know, into the terabyte range. So for now, I'm 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 looking more at external SSDs than anything else. Um, yeah, smell no, it's nice. Yeah. Although it's, it's interesting, this kind of gets to the cheaper board thing because right. you know we we talked to JJ and ASUS and he's like, yeah, you know, how many SATA ports do you want anymore? So they played with the the port count. Um, and, you know, again, if you could cut it from, you know, six or eight SATA ports to two, you, you save that's a little bit less in building the cost, a little uh, less trace routes to run that. So it's 
It'd be nice if we could. I think you could get by on two SATA ports these days. I'm not really sure most people need more than two. I do. If, they have been using if I was designing a motherboard for me, yeah, two I think is is fine. Uh, I I use one just as a spinning platter backup, uh, but that's yeah, that's it. So two would be fine for me, and then t- take out the the audio chipset. You know, whatever cost that that incurs, get get that out of there. You know, it's funny. I was looking at a motherboard the other day. Had a SATA Express port on it. I was like. <laughs> I don't think I've, I don't think I ever saw a Sad Express drive in my entire life. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, I, I don't think we got any more questions. Oh, we do have a couple super chats. Uh, VC Jester gave us five dollars earlier. Thank you so much. Said uh, back in our days, we had 3D ViewMaster. PC is finally catching up. Talking back about the the 3D. Um, oh boy. Monitor. That has not changed. I wonder why they never made a, an HD version of Viewmaster. Because it was, it was such a tiny little image for some reason. But <laughs> so you think you'd want one of those? No? Yeah. I mean, the, the, they were cool when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, a friend of the show, Week 44, gave us uh, 169 Danish Krone. Thank you so much. Said, uh, hi from a library that can have all kind of books. Oh, okay, great. Uh, and then New New York TMR gave us uh, two one dollar super chats. Thank with no comment. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's it for today's show. It's a you know cool. bit bit slow on the on the news week. Yeah, uh, yeah, not a lot of news, but you know. And, and by the way, that great uh, that was a great. Uh, Summary by Mark on uh, Gordon Moore. Oh, thank so. you. <clears throat> yeah. Definitely. Should I take us out? Yeah, let's get out of here. I'm hungry for lunch. Check back next week for your fix of PC Talk on the Full Nerd. For audio listeners, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you're on one of those uh, services, please leave a review. Every time you do, uh, an old crotchety uh, person complains about a PC feature that should be brought back. Send questions and comments to thefullnerd.pcworld.com. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with Elaine Yee, who's left. Mark Hoffman. Oh, no. Sorry. That was Thanks, my guys. <laughs> and Adam Pachterbury's going to hit the all switch. Thanks, everybody. We will be back next week for more Full Nerd goodness. Uh, and we, we got some videos coming up this week that, that are, are pretty damn good. So uh, be sure to subscribe, watch, and uh, we'll see everybody later. Thanks. Bye.